Sometimes early on Sunday morning, I like to listen to some music on my, on my laptop, and I go to YouTube, and, and uh, I was listening to a song this morning that really captured my attention. I don't know that I'll get the lyrics exactly right, but uh, it made an impression on me this morning. And it was, it was from a, a uh, black gospel singer. And the words were something like this. Um, Troubles on my left side, struggles on my right. I can't move ahead of me. There's mountains in the way. But this one thing I know, this is what caught my attention. This one thing I know, I ain't going back. I ain't going back. I ain't going back, he's saying. And I'm like, I ain't going back. And then he said, and so I looked up to heaven, and I said, Jesus, you got to fix it for me. You got to fix it for me. And I'm like, yeah, you got to fix it for me. And then I thought, maybe, just maybe, uh, there's somebody going to be in church this morning at Birch Ridge that has troubles on your left side, struggles on your right, mountains ahead of you. Uh, You can't go forward, but maybe you've been thinking about going back. And I thought, you know what? We're just going to take a moment and we're going to pray that you don't go back. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's not a single person here that's going through anything. I don't know, but just had this crazy idea that that I want to pray for you so that you will let Jesus fix it for you. Is that all right if we just deviate from the program? Is that all right? So I, so I want to ask you to, if you would stand, stand with me. And I just want to pray. I mean, nothing magic about my words, but I think there's something good about me praying for you, but I also think there's something good about you praying for those around you. So before I pray, do me a favor... Look to the person on your left. Look to the person on your right. And maybe, maybe that's the person who really needs prayer today. So I'm going I'm to pray. And when I pray, uh, maybe you need to pray for yourself and ask Jesus, fix it for me. <laughs> or maybe you want to pray for the person on your left. Or you want to pray for the person on your right. I don't know. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled to be here this morning and to recognize and to acknowledge that there are times in each of our lives where we just really struggle. And we don't know what to do. I mean, it's like we're, we're just going through this deep, dark valley and the clouds have just rolled in and We don't know if it's night or day. (laughs) And so we struggle. But now, Father, I pray for anyone that's here this morning that's going through maybe even the dark night of the soul. I pray for anyone that's here today that's really, really struggling and don't know what to do. So we're just going to pray a little simple prayer. 
Jesus, would you fix it for me? Jesus, would you, would you just fix it for me? So, Father, that's our simple prayer this morning. Just fix it for us. And now, P.S., help this poor preacher as he does his best to bring your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. (laughs) Not sure where all that came from, (laughs) but there it is. How many of you here remember July 20, 1969? How many of you weren't even born? Man, that's what I was afraid of. Wow. Wow. I remember that day very clearly, July 20, 1969. I think I was 15 or 16. And I remember that day because that evening, we had the television set on, and I recall hearing the voice of Walter Cronkite. Now, if you weren't even born then, you're like, who? Walter who? The news guy. And he was doing some live coverage of man's landing on the moon. And so... Over here, back in that corner, was the TV set. But behind me was a big picture window. And I remember turning around and looking out the window and seeing the moon hanging in the sky. And thinking to myself, the moon, Walter Cronkite, and he began to announce the events that unfolded, and you know that that's the day that a guy named Armstrong stepped out on the moon. And you remember, probably, even if you weren't alive then, the words that he said. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I've, I've learned that when you go through change or go through transition, that small steps really can make a big difference. For example, if you're thinking about trying to lose weight, I mean, think about that. You know, if you've got a lot of weight to lose, it's like, oh, man, I'll never do that. Small steps make a big difference. And I actually figured out here a while back that if you drink soda pop, that if you... Are Coke drinker, you drink cans of Coke. If you just say, all right, I'm going to drink two less cans of Coke every day, at the end of one year, if you make no other changes, you will have lost 28 pounds. Just, I'm going to drink two less cans of pop every day. You'll, you'll lose 28 pounds. Anybody here 25 years of, age, uh, years of age or older or around that age? Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you. You encourage me. Uh, I did the math on that, and if you're around 25 years of age and you put 
$50, just $50 a week under your mattress. When you're 65, you'll have a very lumpy mattress. No, when you're 65, you'll be a millionaire. 50, 50 bucks a week, I'm telling you. This is how to become, and that's not even looking at compounding interest. Or maybe you have a broken relationship. You're like, man, I haven't spoken to that person in a long time. They've done me wrong, and, you know, but you'd like to have that relationship restored. It's like, how am I going to do that? Small steps make a big difference. And so you just learn to say two words. I'm sorry. You see? Small steps make a really, really big difference. And the same thing can be applied to your spiritual life. There are small steps that you can take that will really dramatically improve your relationship with God. And so today I want to begin talking about some of the small steps you can take that will move you closer to God. And today and uh, then for three more Sundays, I, I want to talk about that. And today I, I want to just talk about this step. Stepping from me to God. Stepping from me to God. It really is an unfortunate fact that many Christians today are consumed with themselves. I, I mean, just be honest, the church, and I don't mean Birch Ridge, but I mean capital C Church, the church. Uh, you know, we've really brought it on ourselves, this focus on myself. Uh, but in, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the church growth movement which taught us that you've got to grow at any cost, that the, that the end game is to fill every empty seat that you have, and, you know, that's just a, a bad way to look at it because the motive there is to make the church look good. It's about us. It's about the church. And so we've got to fill every empty pew. And then uh, the era that I, grew, that I grew up in in the church, the songs that we sang, it's like they were all about me. Now, I'm, I'm not doing a slam dunk on hymns when I say that or share a couple of lines from you, but, but it's just, it's just kind of how I grew up. And I thought about some of these songs that I sang when I was young growing up in the church. And I'll just share some titles or maybe a couple lines. And since you're all way younger than me, you won't remember maybe any of these songs, but... Uh, we used to sing a song that would say, I would not be denied. Yep, see, I'm really old. I would not be denied. Uh, another, another song uh, line from a song that we used to sing all the time. I've reached the land of corn and wine and all its riches freely mine. <laughs> you know? Um... I am rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way. And I'm glad that you are. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. <laughs> and I'm glad that you do. And I'm not discounting the truth of that and the joy of that. 
But my fear across the years has been that, that in the church we've just we've brought it upon ourselves, but we're just kind of consumed with ourselves. And when we are consumed with ourselves as a church, that means that we become consumed with our own self. And that all of that uh, is just about ourselves. And so we become nearsighted in terms of in terms of our relationship with God. And so our spiritual life kind of dissolves into this whole mindset of, well, it's all about my feelings. It's about my wants. It's about my desires. It's about my comforts. (laughs) It's about my tradition. It's about my reference. It's about my preferences. Now, I don't know if you've ever really thought about it, but if you only focus on the things that are closest to you, like my stuff, you live in a pretty small world. Now, think about it. You know, the wonderful apartment that, I'm, that I've been living in since I've come to Alaska is really nice. It's very comfortable. And I look around at the walls, and I look at the furniture, and, you know, all that stuff's not mine, but it's kind of like mine while I'm here, you know. And so that's my frame of reference. And then the main window at the back of the apartment, where I sit in my, in my chair and watch TV sometimes, and I look out, and about 20 feet from the back of the window is a line of pine trees. And I can't see any further than that. No matter how hard I try, I can't, see, I can't see beyond those pine trees. And that's my reference. That's my frame of reference. That's, that's my world. And if I never, ever left the apartment, that would be my world. But I could say, well, it's mine. Yeah, but your world is so small. And when you focus on just yourself, you have made your your world so very, very small and very, very tiny. And if you apply that to your spiritual life, you become a Christian that is nearsighted. You have a small spiritual life. You have a small God. You have a small faith. You have a small relationship with God. It's not a good thing, I'm saying, to be so self-focused. And one of the things I've discovered across the years is that, is that nearsighted Christians that just focus on themselves, those are the kinds of folk that leave churches most often. <laughs> I mean, because it's like, well, why did you leave that church? Well, my needs weren't being met. Like, what kind of dumb question is that? My needs aren't being met. Or, how about this? Well, somebody sat in my seat. Or how about this? I was gone from church for four Sundays, and the preacher never called me. Uh, You see, it's, it's it's all about me. 
But I'm suggesting this morning that your spiritual life can really undergo a tremendous change for the better. If you take that small step from me to God and begin to change your focus. And I I found somebody in the Gospels that really models this principle. And his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist took that step from, from making sure he was not focused on himself, but he was focused on God, and it made all of the difference. There is this little story in John chapter 3 that I read with just amusement and amazement. And it's the story I want to direct your attention to now. Uh, in verse 20, John chapter 3, verse 26. <clears throat> and so some of these disciples of John came up to him, verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. (laughs) A bunch of tattletales. Hey, John, do you see what they're doing? John, hey, John, you you ever have friends like this? Hey, I hate to break it to you, but Jesus, or I mean, mean, John, I hate to break it to you, but all these people now, they're starting to go to Jesus. Um, And John's disciples thought this was going to be really, really bad news to John, John the Baptist. And, and why not? Because now all of, all of a sudden, this Jesus guy is getting more attention than John. John had been the undisputed star to this point in the story. He had a huge following. He had disciples. He was busy baptizing people. People came to him with their problems. But now all of this was starting to change. I don't know about you, but if somebody came to me and said what they had said to John, I'd get a a big head. I'm like, well, how dare they? You know, because this is my gig. You know, I, what, how, what's going on? You know, and and I'd I'd kind of have this big head because at times, you know, I, I have a tendency to think it's all about me. But I love John's reaction, and let's read verses 27 to 30. 27 to 30. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become 
less. Wow. It's so contrary, I think, to human nature. It's so contrary to how I roll. <laughs> you know? This, this response of John, when he says to his disciples who say, hey, I hate to tell you this, but it's not about you anymore. You know? His response is, he must become more important and I must become less important. <laughs> See, John had it figured out. He had taken that step from me to God. He had figured out that his place in the story was that he was just a part of a far bigger story. He was a player in a story that transcended himself. And John figured it out. In verse 28, John saw his role as one who was sent ahead of Christ to prepare the way for the ministry of Christ. In verse 29, John saw himself as the best man at the wedding. He was just thrilled to be part of what was going on. You know, and I look at the story, this little story from John, and it reminds, it reminds us that life only has meaning to the extent that we become lost in something bigger than ourselves. And in this instance, that something bigger than ourselves is to be lost in Christ. To be lost in Christ. So this small step from me to God gives purpose and definition to, the, to John and to his understanding of who he is and what his mission is. And, for example, elsewhere in John's gospel, I think these are in like John chapter 1 somewhere, it says that Christ was the light of the world and John's purpose then, he figured out, was to testify about the light. He says, I'm not the light. Jesus is the light, but it's my role to testify about that. He must increase. I must decrease. And still in John chapter 1, it says, Jesus is the Word of God. And John figured out that he himself, John, was the voice of God, crying out in the wilderness, you see. His meaning in life was found not in here, but found out there. Not in himself. But meaning in life, true meaning in life, is found outside of ourselves to be lost in Christ. And still in John chapter 1, we saw that John came to baptize with water, but hey, Jesus was coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. You see, John isn't the star, the center of the universe, but he played a part. And that was good enough for him. He found meaning in life by being connected with something, someone, that was bigger than himself. And that someone was Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to find true meaning in your life, and you want to step from me to God, 
My suggestion is that you just simply focus on the phrase that John used in that last verse that I just read. That powerful phrase where he says, I must decrease, he must increase. It, it's a mindset that you just embrace, that you, uh, that you adopt, and you say, that's how I'm going to live my life. That I'm going to become less and less important. By the way, this doesn't preach real, real well in a lot of places. <laughs> i got to become less and less important. But the flip side is, as we become less and less important, Jesus, God, becomes more and more important in our lives. I don't know if you need me to say this or not, but I'll say it anyhow, just in case you do. God didn't create you so that you could be some sort of little God running your own little universe. <laughs> That's not the plan. So, so that means you are not the judge. He is. Thank you. It's not your church. It's his church. It's not your life. It's his life. It's not your bank account. It's his. All right, thank you. I, I was really afraid I'd be losing my amen support on that one. <laughs> you see, when, when you make life all about you, then you get in God's way. You become an obstacle. When life is all about you, you... You start to become your own little God, and God doesn't like that very well. And so, so you adopt this mindset that says, I, I, I've got to become less. And God, Jesus in me, has to become more and more. You are invited to become part of a much bigger story than the story of your own life and the things that you own and the job that you have. There's way, way more to it than that. Now, if you're, if you're sleeping now or checking Facebook, just, just give me a second, because if I'm about to say something, and if you're distracted and don't zero in, you'll go out of here and, and call me a heretic. All right? But in some ways, I think, we're wrong to say, I invited Jesus into my heart. See, aren't you glad you weren't like on Facebook when I said that? In some ways, I think it's wrong to say that. I, God is living in my heart. As though, so as though somehow, magically, we could take the magnificent triune God of the universe, the cloud rider, the warrior who's never defeated, and just take him and just cram him right in here. And so, God, now you're safe because you're in here. I mean, I, 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 I get the theological thing. I invite Jesus into my heart. That's great, but to me, that's like, so now, so now, 
God, you're part of my story. And, and you are. But guess what? Isn't it far better to have this mindset that says that, that when God forgave me of my sins, I have now stepped into the presence of God and God is now surrounding me and I am becoming part of God's life? I, I like that way better than saying than thinking that God is now part of my life. He's going to protect me, you know? And, and all that, it's, it's more, that, more that we step into the heart of God. Because we must decrease and he must increase. I don't know if um, any of you follow or have read C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. You know, the cool story, kind of an allegory kind of thing. We have these children that walk through the wardrobe and they enter into this land of Narnia. And in this land of Narnia, there are talking animals and there's this ice queen that's destroying the, wor the, the world and all, all that kind of thing. But in this, in this world of Narnia, there is this legend of a lion. And his name is Aslan. And Aslan, the allegory, the, the imagery, is that he is Jesus the Christ, the Lion of Judah. And so these children are trying to wrap their arms around this strange world that they find themselves in. And they're trying to figure it all out, and they're afraid of the ice queen and all this stuff. And so they're talking to, of all people, or of all animals, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they're like, wow, what, what's this about, about Aslan? And is he a man? And one of, the, one of the animals says, a man? No, he's not a man. He's a lion. And... One of the kids says, ooh, you know, something like, that sounds really scary. That sounds really frightening. That sounds like... And so one of the kids says to Mr. Beaver, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver said, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not safe. He's good. And one of the dangers that we have when we say that, that this is all about us is that we tame the Lion of Judah. He has to do our bidding. That we somehow, we, we boss him around. And, Jesus, go there. Jesus, do that. Jesus, I need a new car. I'm tired of my old car. Jesus, send me a really good mechanic. But when we step from ourselves to God, I'm saying it can be a scary moment. And when you take hands off and say, God, here I am, <laughs> I'm stepping from myself. I'm stepping in, into you. Do with me as you want. 
It's scary. <laughs> but we temper that by reminding ourselves that he's good. He's good. Back to July 20. 1969. So there is Neil Armstrong in the lunar module. And he's coming down to the surface of the moon. And back on Earth, the experts that are monitoring all of this, they're freaking out because things aren't going according to plan. There's an alarm that keeps going on and off. There are lights flashing on the, inside the lunar module. And they decide to proceed on down towards the surface of the moon. Neil Armstrong is 60 seconds away from running out of fuel. The calculated need to land safely. And he makes the decision to flip the switch and stop relying on the built-in computer. <laughs> and things got a little scary. But when he did that, he landed safely to the moon. It can be really, really scary when we just like flip the switch and say, you know what? I'm surrendering control. <laughs> and I'm going to step from myself to God. I'm going to step into God's story. I'm going to be part of that story. And I'm not going to worry so much about my preferences and my likes and my, all, my, all the stuff that I've just been on a crusade about. Just going to focus on God. He, he's not safe. He might ask you to be a missionary to Alaska. Oh, wait. He might ask, he might call you into the ministry. He might ask you to do some really crazy things, but he's good. He's good. And you can trust him. Let's stand and let me pray for you. Father, you know how often I have struggled with thinking that I'm the center of my own universe. And you know how often I, I've had just a, a small world because I focused on my my own self. Forgive me for those times, and I pray that you would forgive anyone here today that identifies with that. Help us as we, as we launch out in faith and take that step of becoming part of your story and leaving our story behind. Thank you, God, that you're good and that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.